Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. John Gotti was quoted uh, when he was sent to prison as, as that they're going to miss John Gotti. And there's an element of truth to that. You know, there were certain things you didn't do there, there were, was, you know, code, and now there doesn't appear to be uh, <laughs> any rule. You know, you didn't hit a cop, you didn't hit a journalist, you know, you shut up, but that's all gone. That's a, a lost world. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. They were once the most powerful force in America. Bigger than General Motors and with a finger in every pie from politics to prostitution. But what has become of the Mafia and its old school criminal code? Is it a dying force? Has the Mafia peaked or has it a comfortable plateau in a new world order where stringent racketeering laws keeps all criminality at bay? Today, I'm talking to Toronto Sun Mafia expert and former New York Post crime correspondent Brad Hunter about the past and about the future of the legendary Cosa Nostra. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Tell me this much. Does the Mafia still exist today in, you know, the significant cities, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia? Is it still actually there or is it being completely wiped out? Well, it's it's there, but it's great. It's greatly diminished, whereas, you know, uh, I I was speaking with George Anastasia, longtime uh, mob reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he said, you know, there used to be. 80 guys and hundreds of associates, 80 made men uh, and hundreds of associates. And now he he can, there's about 25 and he can, he can count them, Uh, you know, and as he noted that if he can count them, so can the cops. Yeah. And also, so can anybody who's looking to move in on their turf and their territory, younger, presumably more violent gangs. Um, 
when you talk about them now, we just kind of think of those old black and white pictures. I'm sure there's younger guys and that's come down the generations. All right. But uh, who is left and what are they kind of doing now? Let's take New York really as the big capital of what was the stronghold of the mafia. Well, if you think of uh, uh, the mafia as, you know, uh, at one point, let's dial back the clock as like a, a giant uh industrial sort of company they had their hands in trucking in unions in manufacturing along with the regular sort of uh, vices like gambling and prostitution and drugs and that sort of thing so it was this all-encompassing thing well they've lost the labor unions they don't have that you know anymore they've lost trucking by and large so it's it's a much smaller mafia uh concentrated on smaller things and because you know they've also taken a hit because you know gambling's been legalized as has uh um as has uh you know cannabis in many u.s jurisdictions and you know in, indeed in canada as well and you know we've seen you know uh just that they're just not the players they were. I mean, as uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano, legendary mob hitman, former Gambino underboss, you know, told me, he said, these guys don't even kill anyone. I, I have to say, I loved your interview with him because, uh, like, I actually, before I kind of realized that he is, like, he was the ultimate snitch who became, as only in modern times this can happen, and really as only in America this can happen. He's become a kind of podcast star, you know. So he's former mafiosi, gives up all his buddies, all the made men. He does the ultimate. He breaks Omerta and he lives and then he becomes this podcast star. And you've interviewed him. Um, like, he, I became interested in him because during those U.S. Senate hearings dating back, are they to the 70s or 80s? He gives evidence and he talks about boxing and how the U.S. mafia, the New York mafia, saw boxing as a way to launder their money. And it echoed a lot for me with modern criminality, with the Kinahan organization. Were they doing similar? Is there ever an original idea as such? But tell me a little bit about him, because he is like he's a fascinating character. Oh, oh, he's, and, you know, uh, it, it's funny. Yeah, he is a very fascinating, very funny guy, extremely uh, bright man. He was a guy who grew up in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, if you had trouble reading and things like that, you were automatically, you know, considered by, educators and teachers as stupid while well, it was dyslexia right and and mm -hmm. in fact you know he was a guy who probably you know if he'd had that taken care of and had a few more advantages would be running a fortune 500 company uh he was a guy you know he was a, a devotee of 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 the mafia um he fell into it you know and, and he was a guy who uh, was very, very low key. Barely anyone had heard of him, like outside that, you know, the criminal underworld until he was made underboss by uh, John Gotti, underboss of the Gambino 
crime family. He was extremely successful. He controlled most of the concrete uh, poured in New York City. Uh, you know, he and he was, you know, he looked at any time that, you know, he had to uh, kill. Uh, he, he looked at it as as business. It wasn't something he took pleasure in. It wasn't you know, any, anything like that. And, and so one of that, what happened was, is he became Gotti's underboss. Now, you know, we know now that John Gotti was a terrible mob boss. You know, he was, you know, blowing 200,000 bucks a weekend on gambling on football and things. So he, he was a degenerate uh, gambler. And so of course, Sammy was a true believer. Now he, 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 you know, never would have, uh, you know, turned cooperating witness as he prefers to rat canary or stool pigeon. Uh, and uh, except that, you know, the FBI got Gotti on tape and they've, and he's saying, and, you know, Gotti's careless as hell and the people around him are careless as hell. They're saying, well, you know, we'll stitch up Sammy. Sammy will take, the fall on this and uh that wasn't uh, a meal that uh, sammy was uh, going to take and you know the the feds played this for him and he said okay and he flipped and uh you know sent Gotti and countless others to prison uh but the interesting thing about that nicola is that uh you know i said you know when you were doing time or you know, were you ever really, you know, were you looking over your shoulder? And initially, yes. But he said that, you know, messages were sent to him that a lot of other mob bosses and mobsters saw Gotti going to jail as a good thing because he just drew so much heat, right? He's in the tabloids every day flashing the million dollar pinky ring and, and and wearing bespoke suits and whatnot and going out to nightclubs and you know the the model mob boss is somebody like uh, the late carlo gambino who's the nice old man who lives down the street and is very quiet and drives a modest car that's that's your ideal mob boss so that's funny because, and, and really, I suppose, to understand the mafia and the evolution of it, it probably started with Al Capone in Chicago and with Prohibition. And there was opportunities there for smuggling. And of course, uh, most of the mafia, you have to be Italian, I think, to be made a made man. You cannot be of any other origin. Um, the mafia, they came from Sicily, where they had been born up in the hills, where there was this code of honour. Oh, Marta, you do not talk, you stick together. There was this blood bonds and it was like them against the rest of America. And of course, by the time Vegas was built and you had, uh, you know, the Chicago outfits and you had the Philadelphia outfits, the New York outfits, they'd become really, really rich, wealthy, poured their money into uh, into concrete, as you say, built half of New York. But the likes of Gambino, is he, you say he never had any connections and he wasn't known until he becomes this underboss. Is he just coming from the Italian community or are these guys at his stage, you're talking really the 70s, are they second generation then in New York or was Gambino and Gotti the first generation of the mafia there? They're, they're, they're second generation. And uh, I mean, that's sort of uh, second, maybe third uh, and that's sort of the problem that the mob has run into, um, 
you know, again, George Anastasia and I were talking about it. And it was that, you know, previously, and, and I've found this from, from, you know, made men that I've interviewed over the years uh, and different things is they didn't, it was sort of a, a means for some of the old timers that came over and everything like that, you know, it was a way of life, but, you know, as the years dial on and you're seeing the American dream in front of you, you're thinking, do I want my son to go into this and put a target on his back? No, you want to, you, you use your ill-gotten gains to send them to Harvard uh, to, you know, become a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, right? So, so what happens is, is that the people going into it, you know, increasingly, uh, you know, particularly now are knuckleheads and, and, you know, I mean, <laughs> so in other words, the families and those five families of New York who ultimately went to war against one another um, and ultimately the, the U.S. authorities, the New York authorities decided they'd become too powerful and they had to crack down on them. But they have almost over the generations and moving forward to now become gentrified almost. No, that's quite right. Much like uh, much like uh, the late lamented Times Square of the seventies. Uh, yeah, it, it uh, yeah they they have become gentrified. They're more into you know white collar crime, uh, as Sammy said. They don't kill anymore. Uh, you know they they don't have Vegas anymore. So they they you know they and gambling's legalized, but they're still into loan sharking and different things like that. Uh, and, and they're still into drugs uh, as well, which, you know, drugs were once forbidden because of uh, uh, the stiff penalties and, uh, you know, anyone connected with you would face. So, you know, uh, a mob soldier starts uh, selling heroin on the side. He gets pinched. And while, you know, you had a coffee with Don Joseph on Thursday, so, you know, ergo, you're part of this conspiracy, which, you know, I mean, uh, which are, of course, known in the U.S., which have been the backbreakers of uh, the American underworld, has been uh, the RICO laws, which RICO stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. Now, RICO covers a wide spectrum of, of crimes and misdemeanors. So you can get ensnared in all sorts of things because from uh, from a shakedown, you know, that can be multiplied into a criminal conspiracy and the, the, the penalties are substantially, substantially higher. Uh, and they, the U.S. hadn't figured out how to use this law, which was enacted in 1970 until the early 1980s. And that has been, you know, the, the game changer. Uh, so that was brought in in the 1970s, particularly to tackle the mafias and those five families of New York and, and you know, elsewhere. We're concentrating largely on New York, but obviously there was very strong mafias in Vegas at one point in Chicago, in Philadelphia, and I'm sure other parts of the US. But they're brought in to tackle them. and maybe like the gangland laws here, it took police a while to work out how to use them. So they started coming in and becoming very useful in the 1980s, early 1980s, when they started to break up those families. Um, 
But ultimately, it seemed to me that along with those RICO laws, they did need somebody to flip. They did need those insiders. They do actually need mafias, gangs, criminal organisations to implode. And certainly that helps, I think, along the way. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, Joe Messina, who was uh, uh, head of uh, the Bonanno family, I believe, in, in, in New York. I mean, you're getting, you know, over the last you know, 20 years, you're getting mob bosses uh, flipping, you know, by and large to save themselves, of course, but the, the legislation's so tight and, and you know, uh, uh, crime and puni- punishment in the United States is, you know, much more draconian than it is in Ireland or Canada. So, I mean, you're going away for a really, really long time. And, you know, you know, Don Vito's, you know, 79 years old and in failing health. And they're, I mean, they'll tell them, no, you're staying in, you're, you know, you're done. So, you know, you're looking at that thinking, you know, Jesus, I'm going to die in prison. And, and, and that makes a very compelling case to flip, you know, there's Mm -hmm. not much honor uh, in dying uh, at 80 years of age in in prison. And like, Absolutely, can totally understand that. And and that happens here as well, where there aren't such lengthy sentences. The idea of being put away for life or spending three decades in jail, you know, isn't too attractive to many. Um, But it's it's extraordinary that I think, and it's probably the only place in the world, maybe I'm wrong, but that they can break that omerta, break that sacred supposedly code, give evidence against others, spend their time in prison, but come out and become superstars. I mean, Gravano isn't the only one who's kind of... <laughs> well, Michael Franchese as well. Michael Franchese yeah. was head of the Colombo crime family. And, you know, I've interviewed him as well. And, you know, he it's funny, he, he recently wrote a book that is likening the, the U.S. government to the mafia. So, so you know... Uh, you know, he, he's, you know, fairly outspoken about it, but he was he was a, a guy with a really good education and he still ended up going into it. And, uh, you know, he, he came up with the, uh, the gas scam and that was like, you know, a billion dollar scam uh, from, you know, lifting gas from stations, gas that doesn't arrive or being shorted and then being resold. So, you know, I, I mean, all these guys, it's it's. Like, and I think, I think part of the thing is, is if it was once a, a quote unquote honored society and whatnot, it, it's no longer seen that way by, you know, everyone except the most, you know, starry eyed wannabe gangsters. And uh, I mean, Sammy told that to me too, because he was, he was a true believer. I mean, he believed in Omerta, he believed in the honor of it and sacred society and everything and and you know he came to see that that was you know false but he still believes in the color of money obviously and is still making it i mean and he's 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 sort of using that interesting past he has and other people would find it offensive many do and look the man has admitted to to horrendous crimes um but he's he's still making money essentially from that past well, that's and that's, I guess, gets back to my point uh, uh, earlier about, you know, this is a guy, you know, a turn left here, a turn right there and whatnot. And he's running a very large company. 
and and yeah, I mean, he's you know he's exploiting himself, but he does you know he does deliver. And you're right, it is you know a curious American thing that uh, you know somebody like Sammy. I mean, he's a consultant on movies now uh, and the TV programs and. You know, uh, you know, he apparently has more women writing him uh, than you can shake a stick at. So, I might have to get him on here myself. Well, I can, uh, I can, uh, I can uh, ask him if he wants to talk to you. I'm sure he would. He, he loves to jerk, right? Wouldn't be my usual caliber. But um, interesting, and to go back, say, to concentrate on New York. So. There are some families, I noticed that there were some charges brought against members of the Bonanno and the Genovese families uh, involved again in racketeering and money laundering charges brought against. So we're probably talking, what, fifth, sixth generation of them now. Uh, so they're still somewhat active. Uh, they're not obviously big players on the scene, but they have been overtaken, surely, by these street gangs, by, you know, these biker gangs what is there in new york or is there just so many that there's no major big one concentrated gang i it's it's splintered i mean a lot of, you know there's ms13 which you know the notoriously violent central american uh, street gang that's almost like a cult and has you know almost elements of uh, of the mafia to it but extremely violent there's them but they're not particularly good businessmen. They're, you know, there's the Crips. They're, you know, there's the Russian mob. There's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, a, a massive amount of, you know, it's a mosaic of criminal mm -hmm. enterprise. But, and the mob is still, you know, a major player in New York. I mean, when I lived there, you know, my neighborhood, uh, you know, in Astoria was still a mob neighborhood, but it was also, one of the neighborhoods that all through New York's very difficult times when, you know, there were, you know, dozens of murders a week that was a safe neighborhood. And, you know, that, you know, that was, you know, known. You don't act up in those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's the, the, the crime world has splintered. And I think, you know, I mean, like a lot of things is that it's, you know, moved more to with the legalization of gambling and drugs. It's moved more to a lot of more white collar crime, stock fraud, uh, you know, real estate scams and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, a, a guy uh, I interviewed, John Binder, who, uh, who wrote a book on the Chicago outfit. I mean, he he says that he his view is that the mob fails when it tries to compete with legitimate uh, legitimate businesses, and and you know that's the thing is is their 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 two biggest streams of money have been essentially cut off by legal. So, and that is very interesting for us that the legalization of cannabis. So here, I think cannabis makes up, and certainly mostly in Europe, about 25% of the illegal drug trade, um, cocaine, heroin, you have tablets, ecstasy, etc., making up the rest of it. But certainly cannabis is still actually one of the largest, like it and cocaine are possibly competing now. Um, but legalizing that has taken 
I mean, if we do sort of journalist maths, which is really basic kind of, uh, you know, remedial. <laughs> Get the calculator. <laughs> Why <Well, laughs> <that's more. laughs> But if you took 25% of the illegal, uh, the profits made from illegal drugs away from the drug market, where does that does that make an actual difference? Can you see a difference in that? Because you're you're presumably, and again, this is a little bit airy-fairy, but you're presumably saying that that 25% of that money is going into legitimate society. It's been taxed, etc. It's been taken from the hands of the criminals. Uh, does it make less of them or does it make them more artistic in their endeavours? Well, I, I like I like that sort of phrase, Nicola. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think it does make it make them more artistic. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, growing up, I mean, no one, you know, had pottery. It was around and stuff like that. But you know, now I've got I've got people that 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 you know give me bags of it. Oh, I grew it in my backyard here. You know, I, you know, I've got you know, and it sits in a drawer. And, in my house and like there's you know I, I couldn't possibly smoke at all i mean so i mean I that sounds like my cooking apples coming into september october november that grow on the trees and i'm trying to give them to people yeah well no and that that's exactly oh you gotta test out these sort of thing and so you multiply that across society that takes a staggering amount of profit out of that now and that was you know i mean the thing is about cannabis smuggling as well there's obviously you know fewer penalties for for that mm. than say cocaine or heroin or pills and uh and so you've eliminated the profit motive so they're they're moving more you know they, which they always were in coke and and uh um yeah heroin but they have to answer to or deal with the mexican cartels by and large or the colombian cartels to you know mm. to get the heroin and then put it out in the streets and there's also that apparatus of getting drugs down to the street level you know particularly you know hard drugs uh down to the street level is significantly more difficult as well and you know the places you know the you know they still sell in the clubs and all that sort of stuff but you're way 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 down the line uh, mm. You know, to the point where you're dealing with uh, a quote unquote associate rather than a made person, and these these guys are all living out in the suburbs as well. I mean, they're is there a black market left in cannabis production? Because that would also be the fear, I think, in places in Europe that if you you legalize it now, cannabis again, and you've pointed that out, it's something that somebody can grow in their garden, or if you have green fingers, you can work out how to put it into a glasshouse or how to cultivate it or whatever we can't do that obviously with cocaine we can't do that with heroin in our environments but like is there still a black market in in pot or did they literally ha has it has it all settled down and have the kind of the criminals walked away from it there is but but, but it, it, it's real you know at the at the at the low end of of the scale i mean uh, two blocks from my house, there's a cannabis dispensary. Two blocks that way, there's a cannabis dispensary. Uh, 
three blocks that way, there's a cannabis. But there's probably, I would say, within a 10-minute walk of my house, half a dozen cannabis dispensaries. So you're going to pop by to the nice clean cannabis dispensary and get what you need? Or are you going to sit in an alley and, uh, you know, buy uh, drugs off some creepy guy named Otto? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you've answered it there. And is it a little bit like going into a posh wine shop? Do you go in and you tell them like how stones you want to get it or how, you know, what flavors you want? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's it. I, you know, I just want to sit and watch <laughs> the, the Star Wars uh, uh, canon for uh, six hours. Oh, here's what you want. You want this. You know, I don't want to be falling down. Okay. But, uh, you know, and we have the edibles here where I grew up. Um, I grew up on the edge of a uh, uh, native uh, reservation. Now they've uh, at that particular Tayandanega, they've uh, you know embraced uh, the the you know cannabis capitalism uh, wholeheartedly, and it's a tiny place, and there's probably sixty dispensaries, you know within eyesight of each other and people come from all over the province to go get their gummies or their or their uh or or their weed there and uh you know it's it's just all over the place it's you know smoking joe's cannabis you know uh uh like all kinds of uh it's like a massive economy i don't know whether it's sustainable whether there's you know, that many people that want to get stoned, but, but it's, you know, it's very big, at least, you know, here in Canada right now. Yeah, that's what I wonder. Will it sort of calm itself down a bit and will it just settle into the population? Like, you know, not everybody wants to eat meat, not everybody wants to drink alcohol, not everybody wants whatever, you know, tofu, you know, will it, will it become because it's available? Is that the nature of humans? We only the you know, not everybody kind of runs for it. I can only imagine if cannabis was legalized here in Ireland, we'd go completely and utterly bananas for probably about two years before. We- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's funny. Uh, a friend of mine used to work at the uh, Cadbury factory, one of the Cadbury factories in the UK. And they told them, you know, look, you can eat as much chocolate as you want. And so, you know, after about four days, you know, you never want to see it again. And, and you know, I know guys uh, that are like that in, in that work in breweries that, <laughs> that, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, help yourself anytime. Uh, right. And, and you know, all of a sudden the fridge is full because it's like, ah, no. <laughs> Can't look at it anymore. Gorge yourself on it. Um, anyway, we've slightly gone off. That was, that, that is an ex, Extraordinary nirvana that seems over by you. But anyway, for many many people people here, I'm sure. I'll I'll show you Um, around them when you get over. Perfect. Perfect. We'll we'll just wander around and wander back out again. And (laughs) but it's it's legal there. It's different. It's legal. Anyway, um, the mafia, you know, they are sort of they have been, I suppose, when you describe that sort of criminality, it seems to me that in the US. It's a lot more, you're probably further on than we are. A lot has probably happened because of the legalization of cannabis. You have a lot of different cultures there fighting for whatever it is they want. Those gangs, those street gangs you talk about, the Crips, etc. They sound in a, in a much bigger way to some of our violent mobs here who just never make profits. 
their actual primary function is violence. So behind the scenes, probably the mob have an experience, the mafias have an experience that many younger groupings would absolutely kill for because they are the most successful criminal outfit in the world. And when you think of where they came from and how quickly they became that, they almost created their own economy. Well, yeah, it was, you know, I'm, you know, I think uh, the, 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 you know, Jewish uh, mob boss, Meyer Lansky, you know, famously said, we're bigger than General Motors. Uh, and, and certainly at that time, that would have been true because they, they contri- you know, the, uh, controlled all aspects of the economy. I mean, up till, you know, 25 years ago, 26 years ago, they controlled the trucking operations of the New York Post. And, and you know, at the time they were stealing 50,000 papers a day because there's stuff in an envelope to the pressman. And, and, and you know, which is, of course, chaos on the, on the paper itself. Uh, but like every, everything you can possibly think of, bakeries, uh, you know, and unions, right? Yeah, yeah you got, we got a problem. Well, we can shut you down. In five minutes, I mean, that was the whole thing with the Teamsters, with the trucking, you know, controlling Jimmy Hoffa and his successors was that, uh, you know, with the snap of a finger, you can shut down the American economy. That's how powerful they are. Now, they can't do that anymore. And is that why we're still so fascinated by them? We're still talking about them. I mean, you, you're doing your work still on the mafia and, you know, in modern society, they are still, people are just still lapping up the stories of the mafia. There's still revelations coming out. We still don't know everything about them. They still have their secrets. Well, the, yeah, the mob, uh, the tradi- traditional organized crime, the mafia, uh, it, it is a fascinating topic because it's not like, you know, uh, episodic TV. Okay, there's 45 minutes and over, and it's over. It's like an overarching generational uh, story that, that, you know, has not yet, you know, we're in a little bit of the twilight. I think the mafia is always going to be there, but we're in a bit of the, the twilight, but, you know, you start looking at things now. Well, how did we get here to there and you see the family connections and and this guy did that and he thinked on so and so and i mean you know i also recently wrote about um philadelphia and and chicago and and these in a lot of ways they're they're the quintessential american stories uh everything we've you know, we've come to know, you know, who watched the United States, who've lived there, who've studied it and that sort of stuff, is that the mafia is emblematic of the whole American ethos, though that, you know, grab the opportunity by the throat, the American dream, uh, except, uh, you know, packing a gun. Now, nowadays, if you and I were to sit down and say, okay, Nicola, let's, let's form our criminal enterprise. And the question is, are we going to do it with a computer or a gun? Well, that's a no-brainer, right? And mm-hmm. and that's something where they have uh, they haven't uh, jumped into because part of the reason is, as I said, this is the 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 mafia gene pool is is greatly diminished. Whereas you know you could say 50, 60, 70 years ago that 
you know, these were men of vision. I mean, a criminal vision, granted, but, you know, the fixing of the fights, the point shaving on basketball games and different things like that. I mean, they're very, you know, ingenious scams, but they've had their day as well. For sure. And I suppose finally, Brad, like, you know, you talk about that, the American dream, and at the heart of that really is greed, whether we like it or not, it is that. And that's what drove the mafia um, and drove them to kill and drove them to, you know, get involved with and muscle their way in on everywhere that there was money to be made. But like, where is the money? I mean, can you identify it now? Has it traveled down the generations? Is it within certain families you know, is it, has it been legitimized and uh, have generations and generations of, I suppose, uh, Italian-Americans benefited from that? Oh, I think, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people have benefited from, from the mafia, particularly in the Italian-American community. And that's not a stain on them. Uh, you know, an immigrant to, you know, North America, it's, it's, can be a very hard go and you know particularly to the united states because it doesn't have the social safety net so you have to, it's very cutthroat so you have to do whatever you can to get a leg up or you sink and uh that's what it is but ironically it's you know i i don't want to be glib about this you know given the violence and whatnot but it is a great american success story it's a, in a lot of ways it's mission accomplished you know uh dad you know uh was a loan shark and gambler and all this sort of stuff and involved in myriad underworld schemes right well what's he do he sends his son to you know harvard to become a lawyer and and you you know, you know that that lawyer's kids are never going to get involved. I mean, here in Canada, a guy, unfortunately, he got murdered, but they had him on tape saying, you know, uh, he was the son of a mobster here. And, you know, he got asked, you know, that he that he want to be a, become a made member of the family. And he, he, he's got on tape, you know, God, no, why would I want to do that? <laughs> like, you know, like, that's crazy. So. So that's the thing too, is and so you know uh, the smart kids have left. Even in 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 ordinary society, in legitimate society, whatever you'd call it, I think the next generation looks on the the one that went before them as aliens. I think we see that all the time with our own kids and with our own parents. You know, I suppose things can change so vastly, and uh, you know out of all that murder and mayhem, if, if some things have changed for the better, that's the least we can, I suppose, walk away with. That's the, uh, that's the silver lining inside the cloud, I think. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it seemed things, but then, you know, there's a, John Gotti was quoted uh, when he was sent to prison is, is that they're going to miss John Gotti. And there's an element of truth to that, just in that, there was a level of organization and oversight and all these neighborhoods and criminal activities and things like that. I mean, you know, there were certain things you didn't do. Uh, uh, there, there were, was, you know, code, if you'll have it, or rules. And now there doesn't appear to be uh, <laughs> any rules. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, you didn't hit a cop, you didn't hit a journalist, you know, you, you know, you shut up, you know, but that's all gone. That's a, a lost world. Despite the presence of that vast Atlantic Ocean between our nation and yours, it sounds as if things are pretty much the same no matter where you are. Um, so, Brad Hunter, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. You take care of yourself. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.